calling all lovers of mystery and fans of a good story. If you haven't already heard me talk about June's journey, you're in for a treat. It's time to don your detective hat in this free hidden object mobile game that delves into the captivating journey of June Parker, a self-proclaimed detective on a quest to unravel the mystery surrounding her sister's untimely death. In June's journey, you get to play as June, deciphering clues and unveiling secret plots within thousands of beautifully illustrated scenes. And did I mention it's set in the glitzy 1920s? New chapters are added weekly, so you will never run out of new thrills to uncover, and you can also personalize and decorate your very own Orchid Island where the story takes place. How sharp are your detective skills? Find out when you download June's Journey on your Android or iOS device, or play online via Facebook games. Your detective journey awaits. You awaken to find yourself naked in a dimly lit, windowless room. Smooth stone walls meet heavily lacquered hardwood floors. The space is unadorned, cold, sterile. Your mind swirls with images of home. Panic sets in as the knowledge of where you are, or rather, where you are not, comes crashing down upon you. As you move to stand, your muscles scream in atrophy, and you fall to the floor. Visions spinning. You scramble to your feet, hardwood bruising your tender flesh, and push through the door to emerge blinking into a terrible light. Before you lies a great mirror, stretching in gentle curvature to either side of you, down a long hall lit by cold, white orbs of light. Two people whom you do not recognize stand before you. Their images are a drab kaleidoscope of earth tones that do not resolve into recognizable features. Their attention is turned to you. Distant voices echo down your dissociated state and fall on deaf ears. It is not they that draw you. Rather, the figure that looks back at you from a world of silver. What do you see in your reflection? Eyes that haven't been opened in several decades struggle to focus in, and as they do, see the image of an old body hanging limp on muscles and bones. A body that hasn't moved in some time. Confusion. For there is no skin tone. There is only a faded gray, starting at the top of the head in a dark charcoal and working its way down to pale ash. A hand attempts to form a fist that was once young and strong. And where he was before, the strength would normally be able to shatter this surface. But it slides down ineffectually, without power. As your hand falls upon the mirror, the image dissolves, and in its place, a tremendous, ringed city, hovering 200 miles above an infinite vista. A land of peculiar proportion and strange geography, stretching out into the black. As panic creeps back into your chest, your breath becomes labored, collecting in white velvet along the window. And there, pressed into the fog, in your sister's tight looping script, a simple message. It's a long road home. You fall to your knees. The pain sings a lullaby in harmony with that of your head and heart, 
as unconsciousness takes you once again like an old familiar friend. And from your lips, a single phrase. Run home, child. The dark gathers. Welcome back to EXPN, The Experience, your only source for exclusive preseason coverage of The Crucible and The Novice Draft. I'm Dirk Bradley. And I'm Warren Rustborough. Today's the day, Rusty. Can I call you Rusty? I'd prefer if you do. Hey, thanks. Today we launch our preseason coverage of the League of Ultimate Questing. After the arrival of this season's new recruits, we'll be on the floor of the convention center with interviews and skill challenge coverage. We will then televise the combat trials on six discrete channels for your viewing pleasure. When the Crucible has drawn to a close, the administration will review the footage and make their picks. Exclusive coverage of the Novice Draft can only be found here on LiveScribe tomorrow. The press are awaiting the arrival of our first prospective novice-ranked team members, poised like a flock of some kind of ravenous birds, like storks or magpies. This batch of fresh meat is chum in the water for the media shots. They're circling the interplanar gates, eagerly awaiting for first arrivals. Due to the number of applicants, Q&A has been prohibited on the gatewalk, but with or without interviews, these predators will scare up a storm. You can count on it. And you can count on us being there to report on their reporting, like a mirror across from another mirror, like they do at the carnival. You said it, Dirk. It looks like the first through the gate will be Omar Halftime, privately scouted fighter from a material plane in the Lambda Cluster, a massive mountain of a man. Dirk. Said to be wider than he is tall. Dirk. With arms like 75 centimeter in circumference tree trunks. Dirk. The gate is open, and here he comes now. What? Well, Dirk, according to the packets we were given earlier this morning, Omar Hafton, in preparation for the Crucible, decided his weight was a health risk and devoted himself to diet and exercise. I, for one, am delighted to see our up-and-coming novices respecting their position as role models for children and exhibiting lifestyles we should all aspire to. Well, I hope this doesn't hurt his chances in the draft picks. Some people, not me, but some people might have been expecting a big fella. Could be a little disappointed by the change. Well, Dirk, he's 205 centimeters and 125 kilos, which still puts him in the 98th percentile for medium non-Goliath humanoids in the league. If that isn't big enough for you, I don't know what is. Well, I mean, this doesn't really fit now, but stay tuned for a glimpse at more larger-than-life adventurers after these words from our sponsors. You sit upon a golden chariot, driven by two great goats, one of obsidian, one of silver. Your mother's chariot. She had sent it to ferry you to your destination. She was not there, of course. She never is. The countryside races past you, yet you feel no speed. You cannot say how long you've been traveling. But eventually the chariot hurtles through a great city, whose name you do not know. People rush and bustle through winding streets. You weave through the traffic to come to a halt upon the cobblestones. The goats champ and shuffle restlessly. You take the hint and step out, arms full of paperwork. Before you lies a great tower of finely carved basalt. At its peak, a crystalline structure of impossible make. Above its door, a crest whose significance has occupied your every thought since you first heard stories of your father's time in its hallowed ranks. Bodies of sizes and shapes you've only studied in battle move in and out of this place, as though its wonders held no more awe for them than their own homes. 
you follow them up a short stair and enter the local hub of the League of Ultimate Questing. Its walls are clean, creamy gold with rich purple adornments. Crests of teams past are scattered about, lit by glowing crystals suspended with arcane magics beyond your knowledge. A squat woman of kind face and chin-length brown hair approaches. You extend your hands in an awkward thrust. Stacks of papers, crumpled from absent-minded handling. Among them, and most handled by far, is an offer of a full-ride scholarship to the Academy of Adventuring Arts, pending your acceptance into the LUQ. You're not sure which document she wants. She picks through them a bit before finding the mark. A simple certificate. Come this way, Mr. Orison. She leads you through hallways whose twists and turns your mind maps unconsciously. Know your exits. The words of your first coach ring as clear in your ears as the day you first heard them. A dungeon's a puzzle. Learn the shape of it, and you're halfway to victory. He liked him. He understood you. He was replaced. Too familiar. Gotta keep a distance. Attachments get you killed. What was his name? Mr. Orison? You were in the zone. Stay out of the zone. You snap clear of your reverie to find yourself standing in a bare stone room on a stone dais four meters across, topped with a great basalt ring like a door before you. Adventure awaits, Mr. Orison. We wish you luck. A loud crack and a cool breeze, the ring before you is filled with images misshapen and jumbled. A fever dream of landscapes, faces, textures, and contours. You step through. A mist step. Your gut drops. As your foot lands rough on solid stone, moving free of the gate's magic, you're filled with the certainty that you've left something behind. Your head spins as you're blinded with flashes of light, dazzling and bright as divination magic pops and sizzles around you. The press. You were warned about them. Remember who you are. The voice comes again. Make sure they do too. Who do they see? Standing before the press is Halifon Orison Jr., an immaculately put-together, athletic youth, early 20s, just over six feet tall, wearing brightly colored, loose-fitting clothing, which reveals much of his skin. The flashes gleam off platinum streaks through his hair and minute, almost invisible glints of metallic lining upon his skin. His hair is shaved on one side and hangs loosely down the opposite side of his head, almost but not quite covering his ear. Halifon flashes a practiced, winning smile, making sure that they catch his best side. Behind you, the portal opens, and you are urged slowly down the line of would-be heroes. Your master gave you the invitation. Master. The word would stick in your throat if... No, not anymore. The envelope contained a passport, someone else's name. You would wonder whose if you cared. It also contained a set of planar coordinates and three shimmering coins of quintessence to pay your fare. 
That kind of money could change lives here. But for you, it's the price of admission. And nowhere near enough. Interplanar travel is pricey and dangerous, but you know a guy. You're standing at the back door of a back alley in the backside of the most magnificent city in all creation. Or so they tell you. You've seen enough of Abel to turn your stomach. And it's time to move on. Besides, you've got a job to do. You handshake your way through the back door of a conjuration den. Delights and terrors echo through the halls, muffled by the silks and tapestries strategically festooned throughout the place. You're led by a three-headed Norn. Blonde, brunette, redhead. There's a joke here somewhere. She complains in three different voices how fortunate you are. At least with your condition, you don't have to deal with all the snoring. You ignore her. You've got other things on your mind. You come to a room. A room with bare stone walls, and yet another door. Plain enough. Old chestnut, the varnish burned away from overuse. A dozen locks bolt it shut. But this door stands alone in the middle of the room. No wall to brace it. You pay the women their two quin, One for later. As you approach the door, the hinges strain. An unseen force slams against the wood. The frame rattles and shudders. You look back. The brunette nods. The blonde shrugs. The redhead's asleep in the middle, snores echoing in the empty space. You smooth out the note. Coordinates gleam in finely printed aubergine as you take the tack from the frame and fasten the note to the door. Your hand shakes as you lift it. The door shakes in anticipation. Three knocks sound through the room and echo through the space beyond. Your mind tries to slip away to somewhere you don't want it to go. Three knocks echo back. You're there again. Water is running. Three knocks fade away. You shake it off. The door goes silent. You look back. The brunette nods again, with a smile. You take your time unlocking the door. The hinges complain as the chestnut swings wide, ebbing and flowing. Pictures your mind could almost comprehend if only you... You brace yourself as you step through the doorway. The moment your hand touches the skin of the portal, you're pulled through, bombarded with sensations. Sights, sounds, tastes, and smells roll over every nerve in your body, irrespective of their placement. Your elbows taste yellowing paint. Your tongue hears ugly sounds made beautiful by the eye of the beholder. You're hurled free of the ether and dumped unceremoniously onto the cold, hard stone. You can feel the crush of a pressure headache radiating from your hip. You reach down to make sure your asset is secured. There is a brief silence as you write yourself. Dozens of workaday marks point devices they don't understand at you. And for a moment, you know you've blown it. The moment passes, and the press explode, probing every inch of you with eyes and scries. You've made a career out of never being under this much scrutiny. But needs must as your particular devil drives. Who do they see? Starting from the bottom, Gaspar is wearing dark leather riding boots. They are worn, but well-kept. He wears loose clothing, fastened by leather armor where necessary. On his hip is a heavy leather belt, and fastened to it is the severed head of an elderly dwarven male. 
It is secured by a hempen rope net, and the ceremonial braids in his beard pierce through it. There is a faint pink glow emanating from its dead eyes. On his chest, several bandoliers of tools of his trade. And as you pan upwards, his neck ends in a stump of dried blood. And in response to the press, the crowd, the flashes, the body crumples to the floor, lifeless. The press immediately begin gasping and screaming. The divination magic pops and sizzles even more. You see a man come running to you wearing a gold doublet slashed with violet, and he begins to check on you. Gaspar will grab his arm, and then a voice will come from the severed dwarven head as the pink light begins to fluctuate in brightness. Don't bother checking for a pulse. You won't find one. He lets out a blood-curdling scream as your hand grabs his arm, and then a moment later he starts to calm down, realizing that it's a joke, at which point a awkward laugh runs through the entire crowd, just in time for him to lift you to your feet and usher you along the line of heroes as the next participant comes through the gate. You've thought long and hard about what you want to do with your life, agonizing over every detail you could wrap your mind around. And in that five minutes, you decided something. You're going to join the League. You would not hear your mother's incredulity, or at least you assumed she would be incredulous. You haven't told her yet. She'll figure it out when she sees you on the scry. Besides, it's easier to ask forgiveness than permission. In truth, the scrutiny of the gods is greater than any your mother could level upon you. As you walk the long hall to the solarium, the great beings of Ephdemonia stare down at you from marble prisons. One in particular catches your eye. A warrior you do not recognize, nondescript, yet radiating with power, bears in its hands a Xyphal short sword and an Aspida shield, cast in fine bronze patinaed with pale blue-green. You will, of course, need tools of adventure, and yet your feet do not turn to the barracks. Ceremonial as they are, the stocks are full to bursting. No, you are certain it is these old tools, and no others, that would suit your purpose. Your hands clasp around them and pull. A resistance was to be expected, perhaps a scrape of stone but they slip free without protest. In the fever of your urgency, you imagine the hands of the statue gently closing as the weight of your newfound burden settles in yours. One thing left to do. It is not hard to walk the worlds. Just make a wish. No one will stop you. After all, there are no guards here. Golden rays of sunlight creep through the solarium's canopy of vines dabbling the cool, clear waters of the fountain. It is a simple thing, not gaudy or lavish, just fine marble, cracked with age. You run your fingers over the vine-wrapped columns that surround this ancient place of power one last time. 
You're overcome with a sense of familiarity as your fingers dance across a cluster of succulent fruit. And as your hand slips away, you find in it a single grape that you did not pluck. You pass it into your mouth, savoring its contours as you bite. Yet there is no spill of juices to be found. Instead, only dust. You sputter and spit and find in your palm a single raisin. You shrug as you toss the desiccated grape into the fountain to be swallowed up by its magic. And immediately follow it with a single shimmering coin. As the metal slips below the waters, you feel dozens of hands, hundreds of minds, bodies interconnected with your own, all in synchronicity. A coin dropped gently beneath the ripples so as not to elicit a splash. One thrown as fury mounts skipping across the waters to find home, flipped over a cliff, bitten in half, traded to the merchant of years. Many different methods, all the same wish, as innumerable versions of you slip between the veils of the real and walk free of the only home you've ever known, to stand smiling before adoring eyes. Who do they see? Penelope Farthing is a young, brown-skinned woman with white freckles, a beaming smile, and a head full of shaggy black-brown curls, emerging from which are two developing antlers, little more than forked nubs, still covered in a soft, velveteen fur. But what's most striking about Penelope is that her ears and lower body are that of a young deer, covered in golden brown fur and still dappled in the bright white spots of youth. She is wearing something of a loose linen wrap and several pieces of ornate golden jewelry. She looks positively elated to be there, as if her greatest wish has been fulfilled. The man in the yellow doublet who runs up to you and places a hand gently on your shoulder. Um, excuse me. Uh, sorry. Uh, you are not invited? How did you get these coordinates? I am so sorry. I am not used to parties that require an invitation. I, I see. Um, we don't get many of your uh, brand, style, uh, kind, type of entity. I'm sure we can make an exception. Please um, follow the line and we'll be with you shortly. Uh, thank you, uh, uh, Ms. Uh, Penelope Farthing, but you can call me Penny. That is adorable. It's so that when people meet me, they have two reasons to smile. Charming. You'll fit in well. Thank you. He walks off, leaving you to follow the line. Three of you, Gaspar, Halifon, Penny, are scattered in a long line of hopefuls. As you follow the queue, there is a cordoned pathway of golden velvet rope and purple carpet cutting across a great promenade that reaches out on either side of you, eventually curving out of sight. The wall opposite you, the inner circle of what must be a massive ring, is lined with storefronts, inns and businesses of every stripe. Their arcane signage assaults you with a barrage of color and light, rivaling the divination magics 
of the reporters. The outer wall is spaced with yet more of the stone gates through which you arrived. Beyond the press are dozens of adventurers in shabby gear, hungry faces craning to get a peek. Before you can gather any information about them, you're ushered along the purple carpet to a massive archway opposite your gate. A security checkpoint seems temporarily unmanned. Small gated archways scribed with detailed runes have been pushed to the side to allow passage of the would-be heroes. You continue down the short but considerable hallway, past doors leading to rear access halls, presumably containing the back rooms for the businesses you saw earlier. A bright light at the end of the hall suggests sunlight, and sure enough, you find yourself standing on hard-packed soil with a radiant afternoon sky above you. Its golden light falls upon a shipyard. Though there is no water to be found, large ships of varying sizes and shapes are docked along the high stone walls of this dirt and grass courtyard. You see a large wooden galleon with a slender tiefling figurehead and sails of shimmering black. A sloop of hammered copper boasts a tankard at its bow and no sails to speak of. Instead, a large mechanical device sits aft of a modest superstructure. One ship resembles a shining silver sunflower seed, no larger than a dinghy, whose only feature is a single slit along its topside, no doubt for visibility. Yet all of them, no matter their size or shape or make or model, hover low over a simple steel ring whose pulsing magical energies call to mind a low mosquito hum. One by one you approach a desk, where three nondescript professionals in simple purple and gold doublets ask you your names before directing you to one of the six railed barges that line the space. The barges are of simple wooden make, with sheet metal affixed along the sides and bottoms. Atop them stand dozens of prospective heroes, human, kanku, elf, and goliath rub shoulders and pass time as their captain awaits the all-clear. A single league official, who with tan skin and black hair stands speaking with the teal-skinned dragonborn captain. A moment later, he adjourns to one of the seats, and you hear a call sounding over the crowd. The shout is echoed from the yard. The mosquito hum of the docking ring dies slowly, only to be replaced by a deep, resonant thrum. A shake and shudder as the barge comes under its own power signifies your departure. Yet rather than a flood of water through the dry dock, you are raised aloft by wind alone. Up, up, up you climb, until well clear of the wall. And as you pass through the illusory afternoon sky, your vision unbound, you take in the sight of the satellite city of Zenith. You are hovering above the outer ring, an immeasurable loop of steel and stone encircling the full circumference of the satellite. Contained within the ring, though separate from it, are six triangular spokes, making up a vast disk. Each spoke an entire city to rival the largest of those in the material planes. These spokes radiate out from your destination, the central hub in name and function of the League of Ultimate Questing. A cylindrical structure reaching above the tallest tower of Zenith and extending below the base of the satellite itself. It is some time after your eyes adjust to the sight of such majesty 
that you begin to realize just where you are relative to the world below. For the world below is beyond all measure. The plane of error expands beyond sight, an impossible plane of impossible breadth and impossible geography. Oppressed from above by a sky of the deepest black, without a single star to light it. The only source of light, a sphere of white-hot molten metal orbiting around the plane's central anchor. It is then, as your barge moves ever so slightly, that the false sun is eclipsed. Through the center of zenith, through the center of the plane itself, is stabbed a tower, which your eyes struggle to see a tower of infinite height expanding ever upward into the lightless sky. It is this tower, around which Zenith, the false sun, the entire plane of error, and your lives revolve. Welcome to the Battle Axis. Welcome back to the experience. Rust, a gaggle of stylish geese have waddled their way onto Zenith. Any swans in the mix? Any ducks? I couldn't say, Dirk. These nascent adventurers are raw stone, unprocessed and unproven. The question here is whether we've struck the mother load or we're just hauling slag. And that's where the crucible comes in. With heat and pressure, some of these fine people will prove their mettle, so to speak. Others will simply be burned away. I like the fellow with the ghost on. Very rad. Radical indeed. There's something to be said for style, but we've been shocked before by the ugly novice duckling turned legendary swan. <laughs> hey, thanks for getting it back to the bird thing, Rust. I wasn't sure about that one. One thing's for sure, we're just getting started. We go live now to field reporter and wizard of the stats, Paige Theta Row at the convention center. Paige? Thank you, Warren, but I'm no wizard, just a humble scribe and mouthpiece for something greater than myself. All around me, engineers and mule arcanists hard at work, putting the finishing touches on the trials and challenges of the aptly named Crucible. It's among these talented laborers that one can overhear discussions of the heroes to be. Our carefully sculpted ad copy and analytical breakdowns are mere set dressing. The truest poetry drips from the lips of everyday folk. Hey, Gorga, you think Lightswing's gonna make the first round? Lightswing's a c and you're a c too. I'd bet Quinn DeCoin, your pretty boy, doesn't even make the cut. Put me down for ten on your stupid ass being wrong about everything. Hmm, almost lyrical. Back to you, Warren. From the mouths of babes and laborers, eh, Dirk? Lacewing's got a bow made by fairies. I bet he could kick that guy's ass. As our rookies make their way to the convention center and the crew concocts the means to test their talents, we can only lie in wait for the coming events. Stay tuned for more Crucible coverage after these messages. Contained herein are the heresies of Radolf Buntwine erstwhile monk-turned-traveling medical investigator. Join me as I uncover the blasphemous truth of a plague-ridden world, that ours is not a loving God, and we are not its favored children. The Heresies of Radolf Buntwine, coming January 2nd, wherever podcasts are available. 
stronger, faster, balanced. The world needs heroes, and heroes need the gear to stand out. Stadmore Adventuring Apparel has been your source for top-of-the-line quest wear for over 10 years. And we're ready to change the game with our new line of cutting-edge footwear. Built to boost your natural dexterity, soften your every step with advanced cushioning technology, and bring your stealth to the maximum. Introducing Sneakers. Forget the knee-high leather boots. Rogues who want to rise to the top need the kind of tools only Statmore can supply. Fashionable, aerodynamic, minimum encumbrance. Just because you can't be seen doesn't mean you shouldn't look good. Find our new sneakers in Rogue, Ranger, and Monk model at a store near you. Statmore Adventuring Apparel. Show some initiative. Hey, all you cuties. It's a whole new season, and we couldn't be more excited to share all this fresh adventure with our amazing fans. New, old, and yet undiscovered. We hope you find yourself pulled into the story as we enter Zenith and learn all about this fantastic new LUQ setting that Zack has made for us. Starting, of course, with a lot of wonderful story lead-ins. We're so excited for you to get to know our new characters and face all of our new challenges alongside with us. None of this would be possible without our fans, and most of all, the patrons. With the new season comes new names for our legendary teams with the same great supporters. Those teams are the Twilight Concord, the Forgotten Legacy, the Ceaseless Horde, and this week's feature team, the Titans Rise, with Darsmail, Andrew42, Timothy Southern, and Evelyn. If you'd like to join a legendary team or get on the roster for the new Battle Axis teams, check out our Patreon for more info. Starting next week, some of the Battle Axis teams will begin showing up in the show's meta, and we hope that's as fun and exciting for you as it is for us. If you or anyone you know wants to advertise with the OUQ, please send your questions to admin at slapdashstudios.com. Fans asked if we have an address, and now we do. It's P.O. Box at 230091, Tigard, Oregon, 97281. Just in case there's anything you really need to get us. But please, no homemade food. We can't do anything with it. Be sure to follow our Twitch channel if you want to watch me and Zach stream randomly throughout the week. But every Tuesday, we play a cooperative Pokemon Nuzlocke. It's a lot of fun. And of course, we stream premieres of new episodes every Monday night. TheLUQ.com is your home for new episodes, news, links to social media, Patreon, Discord, and our merch page. And of course, your window into the actors who play the characters. Check out the LUQ cast tab to find their personal links. But now it's time to buckle up and get ready for more juicy world lore as we dive deeper into LUQ Season 2, Battle Axis. This is Talgadar. He's a barbarian. He's been splitting skulls and tanking hits since he was just a teen. But he's getting older. Sometimes he has trouble keeping his rage going. It doesn't stay up like it used to. Talgadar suffers from a rage tile dysfunction, and it affects one out of four barbarians his age. I wish to bring the fury. What can I do? Well, now there's Viagro. Natural enhancement to keep you raging hard on the battlefield. Ask your party cleric if Viagro is right for you. For rages lasting longer than 20 rounds, please contact an apothecary. Thank you, Viagro, for helping me steal my temper. The three of you stand on a sky barge, one of six, as it moves closer and closer towards Hub and the battle axis that it surrounds. The battle axis is an infinite tower, an infinite dungeon, 
indistinct in shape and texture and color. The occupants of the barge struggle to look away. Most of them can't. You hear somebody vomit in the distance. Ah, that's nice, says the dragonborn captain. It is only once Hub obscures the view of the Axis that your emotions resolve. The barges are moving towards Dock Alpha. The docks make up a ring around the midpoint between the roof and the ground floor of the hub itself. Dock Alpha looks not too dissimilar from other dry docks that you've seen in the past. Stone and wood, and more of those docking rings that you saw back at the shipyard. As you come and nestle down, you see the workers bustling about. They are wearing the purple and gold of LUQ, but instead of doublets, they're wearing tunics and simple trousers. Many of them band together to move large oaken staircases on wheels up to your barge to allow easy access down to the floor. You are ushered down the stairs by the league representative who's been on this barge with you this entire time. He leads you down the stair into a single file line to one of six sets of double doors at the back of the hall. There, the hall continues forward and is intersected by another that seems to reach out on either side with that same circularity that you're becoming familiar with. You keep moving forward when you come to another set of large double doors that slide out of the way rather than swing wide, seemingly of their own accord. Inside is a room of enameled stone with simple railing and an odd arcane device on the inside and back wall. The space is just large enough for all of you on your barge to fit inside. The league representative fiddles with one of the arcane devices, and a moment later, the doors close and you feel a sense of lifting upward. It is an unnerving sensation, and everybody looks towards the man who vomited earlier, who raises his hand in assurance. A moment later, you come to a slow stop, and the doors opposite the entrance open. Inside is a great convention center, with dozens of pavilions, warehouses, and other structures, including battle rings, all arrayed throughout the place. Heroes line up for the Crucible, to prove their strength for the League of Ultimate Questing. Your League representative pipes up. Hello, everybody. I am Eric Bouchard. I am your steward. Anybody you see wearing one of these doublets is... A steward. If you see somebody in a tunic, this is called an engineer. If you have a problem with a technical issue, you can find yourself an engineer. If you have a problem or question regarding the operations of the league, you can come to one of our stewards. Does everybody understand? It is a simple idea to comprehend. You would be surprised. All right. He begins pointing at each of you, saying, Alpha, Beta, Gamma, Delta, Theta. He then moves to the next group and says it again. The three of you are placed in group alpha. A moment later, you hear some shouting at a distance, and then you see more stewards raising signs, each one of them carrying one of these letters. Eric says, and now, he looks at Gaspar, all you have to do is go to the person who is holding the sign corresponding to your group. I have never seen this letter alpha. Which one is it? I will say that knowing the letter, knowing the symbol, but just wanting to see what the limits of this guy, uh, this steward's patience is. I was told you're a bit of a joker. I am just suspicious. I like to, I like to know who I'm dealing with. 
You can find Alpha over there. He gestures to the sign. Except the sign he gestures to is Theta. Hal starts walking that direction immediately. (laughs) (laughs) When I see Hal start to go, I'll start to follow too. (laughs) One of the other stewards looks at him, looks at you. He's joking. He's just joking. It's fine. You go to this one. Alpha over there. Why are heroes idiots? He asks to the group of you. Penny looks at everyone else in group Alpha and at the end of this says, come on, everyone, let's go and starts running off with the click clack of little hooves. (laughs) Flippity cloppity. You begin moving your way through the crowd. Some people are stopping at what look like advertising booths where people are demonstrating all sorts of odd items and, and curios, but you don't have time and certainly don't have the patience for it. You eventually find your way to the first alpha test. So I have a simple question. Who here wants to come up with the strength test? Raise your hand. Anybody who has a strength test. I have an idea for one. Yeah. All right. Lay it on me. All right. This this looks like a major league sport trial event of of generic and an uncopyrighted make. So it's a strength test. Strength is used for things like climbing. Mm -hmm. So it is a I'll say curved rather than warped wall leading to a rock wall that you have to climb to the top of. Interesting. So what, like running across this curved wall and Mm -hmm. catching on to the, okay. We'll say it's 14 and a half feet high. Gotcha. Okay. As as a completely arbitrary number. (laughs) Perfect. All right. So I might have indicated to each of you that I was going to be giving you the test that corresponded to your strongest stat, but I'm actually going to be doing the exact opposite. I'm going to have Penny roll me an acrobatics check to try and get themselves along this curvature, followed by an athletics check to climb the wall. Oh, no. Penny blanches a little bit at being selected for this particular test, but let's do it. Uh, She's going to start with the wall run. (laughs) Um, You are also entitled to creatively solve these problems. Duly noted. For that acrobatics check, that is a 21 total. Excellent. You've never really done much wall running in your experience, especially not along curved walls, what with the hooves. Um, But you find yourselves functionally jumping up onto the wall and then kicking off of it with enough force to launch yourself directly to the climbing wall. So here's the thing with the climbing wall. Mm -hmm. Jumping off of that, I have a racial ability called Mirthful Leaps. (laughs) Beautiful. (laughs) Which whenever I make a long or high jump, I can roll a D8 and add that number to the number of feet that I cover. Perfect. So that's an additional six feet. So Penny kicks off of this wall run, propelling herself six additional feet further up the climbing wall. Fantastic. So you basically just run, jump up onto the curved wall, kick off, and then land directly where you're supposed to go. Too many applause and, well, I say applause, more golf claps from the surrounding participants as well as some of the stewards. Uh, A small panel of judges wearing more of these doublets begin hastily writing down what they see. She flashes a dazzling smile and offers a little curtsy. It's a very baller move to just fucking jump up a climbing wall and make (laughs) half the gap. (laughs) Who has a dexterity challenge for me? Okay, I've got one. Mm. So for this... It's a little similar. There's a platform kind of suspended a little ways above, not quite as high as the last one, 
but you have to walk a tightrope to get mm. up to it. And then they release a little mechanical bird that anytime it can hear you, flies away. So you need to sneak up on it using a stealth roll. Okay. And finally, once you catch it, you have to succeed on a dexterity saving throw as it explodes. <laughs> Beautiful. Uh, I'm going to be giving this one to Halifon Orison. Okay, naturally. So how would you like to approach this task? Payback's a bitch. <laughs> All right. Hal observes the tightrope. Do you have to catch the bird while standing on the tightrope still, or you get to the platform before bird snatching? Oh, um, you get to the platform and there's like some different like barriers on it that you can kind of hide around. Okay. We'll say that each of these challenges has to have a specific goal and that all you have to do is technically meet that goal while showcasing your ability. Okay. Yeah. Get on the platform, catch the bird, dodge the explosion. All right. Just a tightrope, eh? All right. Let's do it. Uh, And Hal will just kind of stride out there. Hal's got footwork. This is something he's rehearsed. Maybe on the ground rather than in the air, but he's going to give it a go. So Somehow it, walking a chalk line doesn't really uh, yeah, <laughs> not drive on the skill set. doesn't quite have the same skill set, but yeah. Was it acrobatics for the first roll? Whatever. Again, you guys are allowed to cleverly interpret this if you wish. So you don't necessarily have to follow the rule of it being a dexterity check. Okay. But you should. All right. How will walk out to the middle of the tightrope? Keeping his balance and then sort of bounce up and down a couple of times emphasizing the slack to get some springiness and then inspired by penny's mirthful leaping will launch himself into the air and try and just snatch the bird on the way down therefore he doesn't have an opportunity to make any noise walking along the ground perfect go ahead give me an acrobatics check followed by i think sleight of hand is going to be appropriate here to get it to really catch this flighty little bastard all right can it be athletics for a grapple on the way down? No. All right. This is a whole point is dexterity. All right. Acrobatics. That's a 14. Okay. And then sleight of hand, which I'm not trained in. That's a natural 20. It's for a 21. Ooh. Beautiful. Well, that actually helps you in a lot of ways because your unmitigated failure in trying to do your uh, acrobatics, because what you're trying to do is very advanced. You try to get your bounce going and then immediately fall off. You use your sleight of hands to catch yourself, which gives you just a little bit of bounce. And then you kind of pull yourself back up onto the rope. Okay. Go ahead and try again. You know, thinking better of this tactic, um, not being a deer person, how we'll just hold on to the bottom of the rope, loop a leg over the top of it for balance and just climb across using primarily his strength rather than his natural balance. And haul himself up on the platform on the other side. Beautiful. Now on solid ground, he will attempt to sneak up on a bird. <laughs> Go ahead and give me a self check. Eight. <laughs> as soon as you take your first step, uh, it's abundantly clear that you lack the dexterity and elegance required to sneak up on this bird. And it immediately begins fluttering around frantically, flying all about. All right. Realizing the bird is going to move away from him if he makes noise and that he has very little opportunity to not make noise. What Hal's going to do is pick up an object and throw it to the opposite side of the bird to attempt to drive it towards him instead of forcing him to come to it. 
and then snatch it out of the air as it flies past. This entire thing is taking place in a simple kind of almost cage-like environment. You pull one of the small knives that you have uh, tucked into your belt and throw it at the cage. Uh, go ahead and give me a athletics check. Okay. Throwing. That's 14. Good enough. It clashes onto the cage, at which point the bird darts the opposite direction, flying directly towards you. All right. And then I try and grab it. Give me that sleight of hand again, baby. <laughs> I would ask for like a dex save. It's the same thing. So it's plus one. <laughs> 15. Nice. That's enough. All right. Uh, the only reason why you failed the first acrobatic check is because you tried to do something that was way difficult. It's <laughs> fair. All right, cool. Yes. So the bird comes darting towards you and you kind of catch it as if you were like catching an arrow out of the air. At which point the odd chirping noise that it makes starts to sound more like a beeping and it begins to glow in your hand. Go ahead and roll me a dexterity saving throw to avoid it. Okie doke. Twelve. That's enough. Hey. Uh, these are not difficult challenges. Um, or at least they're not supposed to be Penelope. So <laughs> the bird uh, begins chirping and beeping and then all of a sudden it starts to expand. At which point you decide to just huck it like a baseball and dodge the opposite way. It explodes, leaving you unharmed. Nice. Hell yeah. Excellent. Uh, do we have a constitution check in mind? I have one. Yeah? Hit yeah. me with it. So there is a sort of enclosed room built freestanding out in this field. And inside of it, there is a sort of mechanical staircase. It functions kind of like a repeating escalator. The objective is for the person to continue climbing the stairs until he reaches the end of its track upon which they are going to have to drink a glass of liquid that they are handed, which is used to harmlessly induce vomiting. <laughs> but while they are making the climb, the room gets hotter and hotter. <laughs> I love it. <laughs> so they just have to tough out a very tall stair climb while it's getting hotter and hotter and then drink something that's going to make them potentially puke. Gotcha. That is the worst thing I have ever heard. Constitution. <laughs> so I, I love I love the idea of sweaty Stairmaster followed by an emetic. Yep. Um, now, is the guy on the boat who threw up going to have an advantage or a disadvantage on this? Got an empty stomach. Yeah, <laughs> he's already dehydrated. So I got a question. Uh, which of the three of you has the lowest constitution? Probably not Hal. 14. 14. Oh, 16, okay, so. okay. We well, it sounds like Gaspar hasn't done one yet, so that's on you, bud. Yep. Good news is I think it's impossible to make you vomit. <laughs> <laughs> okay, so I'm on this staircase. Yes. Go ahead and give me a, uh, I guess, constitution check. <laughs> that is a natural 20. Beautiful. <laughs> so you start, you start just heaving your way up and it begins it's just spiraling and spiraling and spiraling and it doesn't seem to end but you don't seem to mind this is normal i mean you're used to being from able where there are uh, countless staircases that spread out into infinity mobius strip walkways that are used for just all sorts of complex exercises and you being somewhat less than living are used to this kind of thing uh, eventually at long length, it almost seems like they seem to have deliberately made it longer for you. You reach the top, at which point there is just a steward standing there holding a carafe. He pours a glass of something and then gestures it out towards you. Thank you. I was getting quite thirsty. I take the, the glass. I'm going to 
kind of lift the head of the the severed dwarven head on my hip (laughs) using my uh, thumb and pointer finger open up the the mouth of this thing and just start letting this thing chug (laughs) and a bit of it just starts dripping off the 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 neck that's beautiful Um, all all the while you can just hear from from the head going (laughs) uh go ahead and roll me a uh, deception check to see how well you do some ventriloquism there (laughs) we are looking at a nine um it's obvious that it's not coming from the head and when you give a a weak ah this is awful it's obvious that it's just you saying it (laughs) so clearly this isn't going to affect me the steward looks down at the judges they all just kind of shrug and then they just simply let you go down the staircase that is now immobile now i have to go just run back down it i mean it stops being an escalator and now it's stairs once it stops it's a stairs okay (laughs) he looks at you and says well you're fine you did it i guess I will start racing down the stairs, <laughs> taking them three at a time. It's not a new challenge. I mean, no, you're oh, not. Yeah, you're okay. just, you're just uh, this is like 15 steps, but they just keep cycling. Over yeah. When mm. you're going down, it's literally just. Yeah. I, I try to make it at least look good. Excellent. Iavos. You are awakened by a gentle touch at your shoulder. Immediately reach out for uh, a candlestick that's not there. Instead of a candlestick, you find a hand. There's an old wrinkled hand holding yours. Takes me a second to figure out which one's mine and which one's theirs for a fleeting moment. Your vision settles a little bit, and you see a man looking down at you. He has watery, dark brown eyes and gray hair with a small chin scruff. How you doing, loved? What is this place? It'll be time enough for questions later, but I'm going to need you to come with me, if you think you can do that. Yes, of course. What may I call you? Me? I'm Geoffrey. Geoffrey. I haven't heard a name in so long. What a gift you give to me. You're a mysterious stranger, aren't you? He's wearing one of those yellow doublets with purple slashing. He kind of helps you to your feet. Your muscles shake and quiver, but they're okay. And where are you to take me, Jeffrey? Well, the first thing we're going to do is we're going to get you dressed. And we're going to get you comfortable. And then we're going to have you go through a few simple, um, let's call them trials. I have long been prepared for trials. Maybe not like these. This garment you wear, it is so vibrant. Do you not fear the predators of the night? Why, predators of this night are, well, they are drawn to bright colors. Though, they don't tend to eat you so much as take what you eat. And Iovis's hands start to kind of pat himself down. He says, "Ah, I feel as though I am missing something. I suppose this place will be full of mysteries, won't it? Oh, I'm a serious stranger. Come with me. He stands you up a little more and leads you towards a dresser where there are simple set of robes, nothing remarkable, a gray rough spun, and a walking stick. He kind of rubs the material against his skin. Says, 
What immaculate fabric. For me. Ah, indeed. Oh, you honor me, sir. All right. Whatever you say, mysterious stranger. Eagerly garments up. All right, come this way. He leads you out the door, and you see that mirror again. This time with small pockets on it that have turned into windows. He leads you down a hall into one of the previously described elevators. Hmm. It begins to lift. <gasps> this sensation. It's a bit of a shock, isn't it? There are gods at play here, are there not? Uh, much less than gods. He just kind of hugs the wall eagerly, like feeling the vibration against his fingers, fascinated by this mechanism. You're curious one, aren't you? You have no idea. Well, your curiosities will be, uh, I say, overloaded soon enough. Yes. Show me more, please. As you place your hand up against the wall and feel for the magics, you can feel an almost blinking sensation, a throbbing. But it's not coming from this structure. It's coming from somewhere far, far below you. Hmm. The elevator comes to a stop and the doors open. He leads you down another hallway and into a convention center. It's a massive hall beyond anything you've seen before, and it's completely devoid of people. This is so much space. Yes, we, we would have an arena here, but, you know, it's a circular building. Can't exactly put something in the middle, so here we are. There is a great deal of room for crops here that I fear is being wasted. <laughs> Wasteful's the name of the game here. But, um, I think I'm going to have to leave you. Just ahead, you'll see a long table. On this table is all the adventuring gear you could need. Feel free to get yourself as you choose, and then somebody will be here to tell you what you need to do. Is that all right? Yes, yes, of course. All right. Now, when you're done here, somebody's going to be having a conversation with you. Uh, don't be alarmed. They're just going to ask you a few simple questions. I am prepared for the challenges this day has confronted me with. Good. And you have yourself a good day, Mr. Iavos. Um... Iavos Isadora. Iavos Isadora. Witness to the Withering Acre. Well, I, I, haven't a, I haven't a fancy title for myself, but uh, I'm simply Jeff. Jeff is okay. I prefer Jeffrey, if that's all right. Absolutely. Your mother preferred Jeffrey. <sighs> I'm sure she's radiant. Not the word I'd use, but you get to it. He walks out of the room. In this room, you see three simple challenges. One is a curved wall followed by a climbing wall. The next is a tightrope followed by a platform with a bird fluttering around it. And the last is a staircase. And at the top is a carafe. You hear a voice coming from, as if from nowhere, and it says, Mr. Isadora? Looking around, confused. Yes, who's there? I'm listening. Hmm, yes. Uh, my name is not important, but what is important is that you prove to us that you are capable of engaging in intense physical activity. Look down at this body. Oh, dear. You couldn't have asked yesterday, could you? <laughs> I'm not sure a day would have saved you. A day can save anyone. So, 
I want you to try and solve the first puzzle. All right. Uh, he inspects it for a minute, looking at the angles of the wall, kind of trying to figure out what the purpose of such a ridiculous device could be, but getting the idea it's some sort of game. Ah, a game then. Very well. Ah, kind of tries to bend. There's a lot of cracking and <laughs> joint <laughs> sounds, unnatural, leathery skin. Sounds cotton. like fucking Jiffy Pop. <laughs> <sighs> Thank you, probably. <laughs> and uh, he's going to take a knee and say a prayer to his brother, the son, and uh, ready his body for the activity before him. He shivers in the winter wind and sweats beneath the summer heat. Yet while his heart remains at home, his joyous road beneath his feet. And he will attempt a guidance to aid him in the athletics required for this task. Excellent. Feeling a little bit of the jovial spring of the sun step. So I have a negative one to this ability roll. Mm -hmm. And I got a 16 total. Beautiful. As the words issue forth from your mouth, even without your personal adornments, you can feel the energy of youth rush back into you. Your knees suddenly feel spry and healthy. And for a moment, you're able to actually get a very healthy run up the wall and then catch yourself on the rocks. Mm. The feeling of it, the rough stone digging into your fingers is agony, but your body remains true. Can I get another athletics check? Yes. His fingers are old and worn. His fingernails are long. Kind of, They're getting in the way, but. He feels like he might be able to make the surface a little more climbable if he calls upon his magic and summons forth some handholds of ice, like rods that he can grip and put his feet on top of with his frostbite ability. Excellent. Give me an arcana check. There are times to fear the cold and times to embrace it. That is a 13 total. Whew. All right. Basically, using this frostbite. When you put your hands down, small portions of ice creep up between your fingers and hold your hand in place as you climb up and then dissolve back into water as you pull yourself higher. As he gets to the top, he breathes into his hands and rubs them together. <sighs> A little uncomfortable, but I have bested your game. Excellently done, Mr. Isadora. If you head back down, you can proceed to the next challenge. I look for stairs. <laughs> <laughs> There's a stair on the back. <laughs> Marvelous architecture. <laughs> now you stand before the same challenge that Halifon had. Right, right. So he's going to approach this the same way. He's just going to... You have never seen someone walk about 15 feet slower than him. <laughs> one foot over the other trying to guidance himself and find his balance. Beautiful. Just tippy-toeing. That's not advantage, that's guidance. Um, so that's a total of 15. Excellent. I have plus zero. <laughs> Thank you, Guidance. Your slow pace and even keel gives you strength in this particular task. It's almost as if you were born to take things at this pace. Mm. You find yourself in the middle of the tightrope and the bird is dashing all around you. How would you like to proceed? Oh, this creature is afraid. It sees me as a predator. Poor thing. I will ask for the guidance and the aid 
of the third child. I will manifest a mage hand to seize the bird and pull it to me. They follow in my shadow's wake and guard my dreams to ease my fear. And just because they can't be seen doesn't mean they are not here. Go ahead and roll me an arcana check. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh, that's a 16. <laughs> Excellent. You do manage to gently grab it out of the air. Uh, not being able to hear you, it doesn't know to move away. And as you pull it closer, you hear a loud beeping coming from it. And you can feel a pulsing evocational energy coming off of it. What a horrible song. We'll keep it at a distance instead of pulling it right to my breast. I will save you the dexterity saving throw <laughs> since you don't actually bring it too close to you. And then suddenly it explodes. I'm afraid I have broken your bird. That was the intent, Mr. Isadora. You've done very well so far. We have done very well so far. Okay. Please continue. Now the final test. I'm just going to fucking puke, I can tell. <laughs> is, uh, guidance isn't going to help with this, probably. So I'm just going to bless myself. Fair enough. I'm just going to use bless and roll, roll a constitution save. Beautiful. Trying to figure out a good proverb to go for here. <laughs> Sorry. <laughs> Trying to find a proverb for puking at the top of the staircase and just yeah. nothing's coming. Not a, lot of, not a lot of stairs in my religion. Um, <laughs> puke and rally. Father, grace me with your resolute strength in nature. Con check. No bonus. Or actually, I do have a plus one to con. That's a five. Hot damn. You begin climbing the stair and the heat and the intensity of the exercise reminds you of the, well, the closest thing you got to a beating sun and the intensity of it causes you to wither. Eventually you fall to your knee on the stair. I can go no further. I understand, Mr. Isadora. The stair comes to a stop. If you could simply get to the top. Yes, of course. There's always a little more work to be done, isn't there? Uh, nine. All right. <laughs> you do get to the top, but very, very slowly. And at the top, you see a simple carafe of liquid. Oh, bless you. I eagerly just reach for it. And uh, give me a herbalism roll. Herbalism. Intelligence? Yeah. Rolling on fire now. That's a nine. <laughs> Yeehaw. You pick it up and it does smell slightly off, but you're used to unusually smelling and tasting waters. I think it's weak ass tea. <laughs> <laughs> you drink deep of it and immediately regret your decision. Now that the substance is on your tongue, you know exactly what it is. And the emetic slowly starts working on your gut. Oh boy. Uh, roll me another constitution save. The good news is I haven't eaten in a couple of decades. <laughs> <laughs> With the bless, oh, one on the die. Mm, beautiful. Perfect. Immediately, the oh. moment it hits your stomach, it comes right back out. Uh, a projectile blast of this strange liquid is launched across the convention floor. Mm. Yeah, don't climb stairs right now for coming out of a coma, kids. <laughs> I like the idea. The reason you failed the first check is because you were just going so slowly that the escalator was faster <laughs> than you and you just kept ending up at the bottom stair. Yep. <laughs> you're able to climb down the stairs after a moment of rest and a man is running up to you with a glass of water. It is again, Jeffrey. Oh, you create games with a cruel nature, Jeffrey. Oh, me, sir. I would not do this to you. This is a cruelty I could not imagine. 
a man of your condition. I test the water with my nose and finger to make sure it's actually... I would not poison you. <sighs> Drink it down. Well, they seem to think that you doing two out of three is good enough. <sighs> Come with me. He begins walking you. Uh, he has a water skin at his side that he hands to you. Jeffrey, two out of three is a very significant number. Yes, it is. You're able to prove that you're capable of handling at least simple tasks. Obviously, you haven't got the constitution of the younger heroes, but it's good enough. This is a lesson I am learning quickly, yes. Uh, now, the person you're about to meet is a bit gruff, but she's got a good heart and she serves a good man. He leads you out to the elevator. And sometime later, you find yourself standing in front of an oaken door with a beautiful bas-relief carved into it of what look like adventurers. Men and women with swords and shields wearing armor of all types, battling each other in a great field. Jeffrey opens the door for you. Now there's a good chance you and I aren't going to see each other much. There's a lot of people working here, lots of stewards. But if you ever find yourself in Verata... You can probably find me on the Stygian Street. I will do my best to remember your words, Geoffrey. And if we meet again, it will be a blessing in our continuance. Whatever you say, mysterious stranger. And he will take a moment to appreciate the embossment on the wood, the fine craftsmanship, the security. How strange to glorify such battle, but beautiful. If we have our way, it'll be your job says somebody from inside. Look to the source of the voice. There's a woman standing there. She has olive skin, auburn hair, and cut into a wide mohawk, a dusting of freckles across her nose, and on it rests a pair of small spectacles. She's wearing a purple and gold brocade vest with a frilled gray shirt with the sleeves rolled up. She is scarred from battle and seems formidable. An honor to meet you. By what name may I call you? You can call me Rain. Rain. I am my avos Isidora. So I've heard. Why have you brought me to this place? You seem to have a power about you. She places a somewhat long pinky nail between the tusks on her lower jaw. The race doesn't make sense at first, and then somewhere in the back of your mind, it rings as orc. Hmm. She pulls out what looks like a chunk of meat, and then... Puts it back in her mouth and chews. So what was the question? I wish to know why these people have brought me here and you have an air of leadership to you. So I am asking you as perhaps the coordinator of these series of events. <laughs> I'm no leader, but I can answer some of your questions. You were brought here by a cleric who's been tending to you these last 50 years. How kind of them. A selfless act. Well, she's selfless, but she's not allowed to see you, so she doesn't have a passport to be here. I see. Well, if you see her, please give her my thanks. Well, you'll see her soon enough, but first we need something from you. I look at the fact that I'm wearing, like, rough spun gray. <laughs> I have little to offer. All right, but you're also something special. If you've the patience, I'll explain. The first stage of the crucible draws to a close. 
more of those in tunics and aprons who you've come to learn are referred to as engineers, begin dismantling the tests as the stewards order the prospective novices into lines. After a while, a voice rings out as if from nowhere. The following are your team assignments for the Crucible. When your name is called, raise your hand and move to the right to meet your new allies. We wish you the very best of luck. Team Alpha 1, Aljamain Handar, Proctor Silfen, Marbrand Haverford, and Gillywell Cumberbund. Team Alpha 2, Omar Halfton, Grell Grindgullet, Merrily Mallory Madbutton, and Lymph. <laughs> Team Alpha 3, Halifon Orison, Gaspar, Ophidian Ashpool, and Penelope Farthing. You all raise your hands and make your way to a velvet rope cordon to the right of the gathering. You've never met each other before, not truly, and after the crucible, you may never see each other again. But for now, you are a team, and each of your futures lie in the other's hands. Well, with Lacewing eviscerated by the Asocalypse and Forge Bloodtooth's unprecedented stroke during the written exam, the Crucible is off to a rough start. But I'm sure I speak for most of the fans out there that watching a wagon race is as much about the speed and precision as it is about the 10-horse pileups. Whatever your motivation, the Crucible is a welcome glimpse into the amateur. LUQ is about exceptionalism, and a brief showcase of crushing mediocrity and immediate consequences can give valuable perspective. Skill challenges are all well and good, but I can't wait for the battles. These cats have juicy claws and slick moves, and I want to see if they hold up when someone's throwing steel at them. Bosses are to be expected throughout the Crucible, but the battle tests are where the wheat is separated from the chaff. Well, I'm pretty sure there are creams for armor chaff rust. I don't think anyone's getting disqualified for it. Right you are. And while nothing chafes more than falling short of the point, the greater threat, I suspect, is being shackled to lackluster teammates. To demonstrate unrivaled talent, only to have your hopes dashed by the witless blunderings of an empty shirt. It's a galling experience, and I, for one, understand the struggle intimately. I think you lost me there, Rust. No, no, I didn't. Well, don't get lost on your way back to more coverage of the League of Ultimate Questing, right here on The Experience. I actually forgot what happens at the end of an episode for a second there. Season two, mm. episode one. How's everyone feeling? God, awful. <laughs> you did great. Like did I need great. a lot more practice on my accent. Oh like a lot God. more practice in my that's accent. An, that's an hour and 52 minutes. This is going to be a solid two hour edit, man. This is rough. Uh, well, I mean, hopefully everybody's enjoying themselves with this first of the battle axis episodes. I mean, I kind of go went into this knowing that we were going to make mistakes, that these first chapters are going to be rough. We're having our own crucible. Yes. Yeah. This, this is the real crucible. Oh, my God. Just plaster, just plaster whip all over everything. Just we've, WIP everything. We've, we've never used a screen at LUQ, but I feel like I'm on the wrong side of it. It's fun. Yeah, no, absolutely. It's weird being in the DM seat for more than just a, an, a little league thing. You know, I'm actually going to be having to do this regularly. Yeah. And I'm just happy to be here. <laughs> we're happy you're here, too. Yeah. 
Well, I mean, hopefully I get better and I don't just, you know, putter around the low end this entire time. But thank you guys for listening to the Battle Axis. This is this is the the product of a very large amount of work. I've been doing this for a while and I still don't feel like I'm even a quarter of the way of where I want to be with the planning for this game. If you're listening to this, it means you're giving us a shot. Season two is a big change. We've got a new cast. We've got a new crew. There's a whole slew of things that have changed for you and you're having to get to know a group of people that you've never met before. So I'm sorry if this is if this is stressful or a disappointment, but we're going to do our best to live up to the season one standards and expectations set by our lovely Law Johnson. Well, it should probably be noted that season two doesn't have anything to do with season one. So if this is your first episode, you don't need to worry about not having that background info. Exactly. Yeah. Welcome on in. This is not something you need to watch season or listen to season one for. But if you want to do, we always love new listeners. And honestly, you're going to absolutely love it. It's the best D&D game I've ever been in. And we look forward to you all learning and getting to know our new characters because new people can be can be a challenge. But we hope you'll love them as much as we do. I am deeply in love with every single one of these characters and our newest people. So I'm going to go around the table and have everybody introduce themselves. Hi, I'm Dana and I'm playing Penelope, the level two bard slash Faylock. And she's a fawn, which mechanically is identical to a satyr. So I don't want anyone to get confused about that in the future. <laughs> awesome. Uh, what's something that you're excited about playing this character? I'm really just excited to be here. No, this is this is a dream. Ever since Little League, I've really wanted to work with you guys. And this is a huge opportunity. And I, I love this character. It brings in a few different kind of character elements that I enjoy playing um, in kind of a fresh way for me. And there's some really interesting spins on it specifically for this show. I'm glad. Law. My name is Law. You know me from season one. And I am playing Iavos Isadora, Witness to the Withering Acre. My name is Michael Loving. Uh, you also know me from season one, which means that Zach doesn't love me in law. He specifically said he loves the characters and the new people at the table. Um, <laughs> but I'm playing Halifon Orison Jr., the second level paladin. My name is Angelo Kaluug. I am playing Gaspar, the level two rogue. You may recognize me from Zach's stream of Red Blossom's Black Snow. If you can find it. If you can find it. It's a, it's a collector's recording. <laughs> it's Crow, a rare Crow. and exquisite piece, darling. We pressed it into vinyl. It's Crouching Tiger Hidden Vaud. It. Yeah. <laughs> it's in some secondhand record store, <laughs> unlabeled. What are you excited about for Gaspar? Uh, I'm excited to do rogue things. I yeah. feel like if I took a personality test, it would be rogue. Mm. And I've just haven't played rogue in a while. In, nice. a, in a long while. I don't think I've ever actually truly played a rogue. Uh, do you want to describe your race? Oh, I guess I, I did definitely bury a lead somewhere in there. But <laughs> I am playing a homebrew race at the moment, which is somewhat of a descendant of a Dulahan. Am, am, I, am I supposed to tempt people that this is going to be probably some Patreon content? Uh, yes, all of any, any homebrew stuff is going to be available on the Patreon. Yeah, so... If uh, any of you want to share the same curse slash blessing as Gaspar, this homebrew content will appear in Patreon. Excellent. Well, I am absolutely delighted to be here. No, I'm not. I'm terrified. I'm <laughs> fucking shitting my pants right now, but I am here and I'm going to keep doing it. And I just hope you all are here to keep growing and questing together with us. You may have already heard, but I'm not positive. Some of the Battle Axis heroes 
Uh, our Patreon has a new Battle Axis tier, three of them in fact, that'll allow a character you create to be featured on the mid-rolls and the intros. Hopefully they're in this episode. If not, there's a good reason. But uh, as soon as you sign up, you can throw us a character. We'll put you on a team and make you a part of the universe. Please consider joining our Patreon if you haven't already. Those of you who didn't hate this episode and are veterans of the previous one, please uh, think about uh, joining with us. I'd also recommend checking out our Discord, which you can find a link to on our website, uh, theleagueofultimatequesting.com. No, that's never been a thing. Why? Where did nope. I? Yep. I didn't get that. It's theluq.com. <laughs> Don't, you, don't spell it out. It won't work. Yeah, just the LUQ.com or slapdashstudios.com, which is spelled out. Yeah, that is spelled out. God, this is such a weird. We are butchering this just as much as we butchered the fucking the rest. We're of on brand. Yeah, <laughs> it's a brand new podcast. We're, we're new at this. Just cut yourself some slack. The outro is supposed to be cringy. Yeah, don't pay attention to the fact that this is on the same RSS. This is a new podcast. Trust totally. me. It was just for it was just for meta purposes. That's why we kept it on. And just to help us fund the rest of season two, if this is your first episode, if you sign up for the Patreon, you also get all the bonus shit from season one. And that's over 100 episodes of shit. Yeah, it's a lot lot of content but anyway i really love that you all came here and are joining us for this new adventure and until next time we wish you luck